Hey, North Point, we are so excited to have you with us online today. Um, if you haven't heard, we are meeting again on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11. When you're ready, come on back. It has been great to be back together, um, worshiping together live and hearing God's word. Um, if you are a regular tender, I want you to go ahead and take out the app and click on Let's Connect. Let us know that you've been here. Um, it's a great way for us to um, let you know what's going on at North Point. And just so we know that you're here. And if you are new and just checking us out, welcome. We are so excited to have you. Go ahead and text GUESTNCC to 94090 and let us know that you are here. Um, before we head into a time of worship, I wanted to leave you with this scripture. Jeremiah 2013 says... Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Open spaces, graces waiting for you. Dance like the weight has been lifted. Graces waiting. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Come out of the dark. Spaces, graces, waiting for you. Dance like the weight has been lifted. Graces, waiting. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Come out of
Right now, I know you're able, and I 
continue to worship online through our giving together man if you uh, are a part of our north point family if you call north point home man, we would encourage you to uh, continue to worship together with us and to give uh, sacrificially as god has laid on your heart and you can do that right now uh, by giving through the app 
or you can simply text NCC Give to 77977. Man, your partnership uh, with us, us together as a family, worshiping God through our giving allows us to continue uh, to offer these services online and in person and to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. So we encourage you, man, to continue to give as God has laid on your heart. Uh, we've also got some incredible equip groups starting up together. Uh, if you are uh, wanting to join one of our groups, we've got a group, uh, Financial Peace University. This is going to help you with the ability to, to get out of debt, to find financial security. If you're interested in that, you can find out more information and register by sending the word debt, D-E-B-T, to 94090. Uh, or if you're somebody who is uh, struggling through grief, you've had a loss that's occurred in your life, and you're looking for community to help you through that, and you can join our grief share group by simply texting the word grief NCC to 94090. Or if you're somebody who uh, has recently been divorced or, or divorce is a part of your story and it's something that you're looking for community or, or a way to help with those struggles uh, or, or to kind of just talk through some things, then you can join Divorce Care that we host as well by simply texting the word divorce NCC to 94090. Now we are also starting uh, another equip group here uh, that is about navigating fear during COVID. And, and man, COVID has hit everybody all over the world. And there's been all sorts of different things that we've all gone through with that. And if fear is something that, that is a struggle through COVID right now, or something that you would just like to find some community and talk through and some encouragement of what the Bible has to say of ways that we can overcome that fear, man, we would encourage you to join that equip group. You can check that out online or on the app and find out more information and ways to register as well. Fear you don't Hey, it's so good to see you. Before I jump into the message, I want to just talk to you heart to heart a little bit um, about coming back to church. We, uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in online. So glad. Um, it's so important for you to connect this way. But I want to encourage you to think about coming back to church. Um, our, our capacity here in the auditorium is about 560. And, uh, we've had three great services, three great weeks before this, this weekend. Back here, we've had about 125 in the first service that have have been here. So you can tell that there's lots of space for social distancing, lots of uh, space for more people as well. And we've averaged second service somewhere between 50 and 70. So uh, at the 11 o'clock service, there's even more space if you're concerned about whether or not you'll be uh, in close proximity to people or not. We've done a lot of things and made a lot of progress uh, over the last three weeks. The first couple of weeks, we had people sit while we sang just to be safe. This past week, we had an, uh, we had people have the opportunity to stand or sit, and most people stood and sang. It was a great thing and a great way to to be able to worship. 
Um, we're not passing things, so there's not things that are handed from one person to another. Uh, we don't have coffee available yet, but we will starting the first week of July. So next Sunday, if you come, you'll be able to get some some coffee like we used to be able to, and that'll be a good thing. We initiated after the first week a special setting just for families with little guys because I know lots of you who are out there. Uh, it's like, oh man, it's such a hassle bring the kids right herd on them. Um, it's are they going to be a distraction to everybody else? In the Student Life Center, we have a, a space set set up with a live feed that goes right down there. So you're experiencing the service live. Um, people are actually standing and singing and, and worshiping down there as well, but they don't. Uh, they aren't quite as concerned about their kids maybe being a distraction, and there's activities for them down there as well. So I wanted to let you know that as well. Um, please know that w- that we're not going to ask you to do anything that you're not comfortable with. Um, if you want to stay safe distance from everybody, that's good. But I want to encourage you to think about what it will take for you to come back uh, to church uh, here at North Point and be back in the body. The reason I want to I want to challenge you to do that is because so many people that I'm talking to right now are struggling with some sense of discouragement, depression, whatever that comes from not being connected to people. And it's so important to be connected to the body of Christ. So uh, if you would just take some time this week and, and maybe think through, what's it going to take? What What is going to change that will make me feel like, oh yeah, I can come back to church now? Um, we're doing everything that we can. We've oh, um, We've uh, aligned ourselves with all of the recommendations, um, except except masks. We've said masks are optional, and if you'd like to wear a mask, that'd be that. That's great. There are people who are wearing masks, people who are not. Um, but but we, I want to challenge you to come back. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need to worship together. I recognize not everybody is staying at home because they're afraid. Um, many would say that they're staying at home uh, simply because they're cautious, and um, and that's okay. Uh, today's message, though, is is almost the opposite perspective completely. It's about being fearless enough to stand alone, fearless enough to act opposite of our culture, fearless enough, literally, to look death in the eyes and to keep moving forward. Let's see what fearless looks like. So if you've got your Bibles, take them out. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read this entire chapter. One of my favorite stories in the Bible because it's, it is a, a, a story, an account of three guys who were absolutely fearless by placing their, their trust and their faith in God. Um, d- just a little bit of review, transition from, from, uh, from last week. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and uh, Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are taken from Jerusalem. They're exiled to Babylon as probably 15-year-old young guys. They're put in training to be advisors to the king, and in that training, they go through some tests. They, uh, the Babylonians want them to eat food that's unclean, and they say, we can't do that. We can't betray our conscience. We can't betray our relationship with God. And so they stand, they go through a test, and, um, and they stand firm, and God honors that and raises them up. They graduate their training, and they become advisors to the king, and, um, literally uh, kind of ambassadors, uh, administrators within the kingdom. Um, in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and, and he asks his, his advisors to, uh, explain that dream to him and to tell the, him what that dream is that he had. Only Daniel can do that and only Daniel by the power of God. Daniel does. 
Um, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, hears it, raises Daniel to a position of power because of his ability to, to both tell him the dream and to interpret it. And Daniel in that position at the end of chapter 2 is able to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and have them serve in key positions. All of that's the background for the story that we start right now in chapter 3 of Daniel. It begins this way in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it on the plain uh, of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other uh, government officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's really interesting when we start the third chapter of the book of Daniel in this key event that you read all through that and think, Where's Daniel mentioned in all this? He's one of the government officials, but he's not mentioned. We'll we'll talk more about that in just a, a second. Nebuchadnezzar is pretty full of himself at this point in time. He's uh, he's king. We don't know how much time has lapsed between chapter two and chapter three, but he's kind of like Jack on the Titanic uh, when he says, "I'm the king of the world." Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the world, and he's pretty full of himself. And so he builds this statue that's sixty cubits high. A cubic, a cubit is from the tip of your elbow to the top of your finger. It's about 18 inches. So this statue is about 90 feet tall and six cubits deep or about uh, nine cubits deep. There are two things that scholars think about this particular statue. One is that the statue may not actually have been 90 feet tall. It may have only been about 50 feet tall and, uh, and nine feet wide, which would be much more in proportion um, with about a 40 foot base. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, architects have found about four miles south of ancient Babylon a pedestal that's 25 square feet of, of bricks, a base that's 40 feet tall. Um, could that be the base that was there for Nebuchadnezzar's statue? Maybe so. An- uh, uh, another thought that... that uh, scholars have about this particular idol is that maybe it wasn't a statue like a physical body kind of statue, but more like a totem pole uh, that went straight up. And it was this obelisk that went into the sky that uh, that still represented Nebuchadnezzar and represented his gods. 60 cubits, 90 feet tall. For comparison, the Sphinx in Egypt is 66 feet tall and about 260 feet long. So much longer, but not even as high as Nebuchadnezzar's statue. The statue may have been the likeness of Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody wants to build a statue to themselves, right? 
or it may have been to Nebuchadnezzar's private god, a, a god named Nebo, or it may have been for Bel Marduk, who was the like the supreme god for the Babylonians. We don't know that for sure. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar demands that when the music stops, everybody has to bow down to the statue. And if not, they're going to be thrown into this blazing furnace. Uh, uh, verse 8 then goes on to say, at this time, some astrologers came forward and announced and, and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They serve neither your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. Babylonian culture was a polytheistic culture. It was a tolerant culture, much like ours. You could worship anything you wanted. Because Babylon had conquered so many countries, all of their gods had been assimilated into the Babylonian culture. And you could worship whoever you wanted. Nebuchadnezzar said, you've got to worship this idol that I've built, this statue that I've built. And that was fine for everybody else, except the Jews. I don't know if you noticed in, in the language in the text there, but it says, but there are some Jews. Uh, the, uh, there, it's, it's probable that even in this Babylonian culture, there was anti-Semitism. They didn't like the Jews because the Jews would have been the ones affected directly, probably the only ones affected directly when the, when the king said, you've got to bow down to the statue because the Jews couldn't do that according to their law. They served the living God, a God who said, you'll have no other gods before me. Um, so, uh, so it created that tension. Um, monotheism versus polytheism is, a, is an interesting uh, tension because in polytheism, you, there are many gods. You can, you can worship any that you want to in, in a monotheistic culture where you say there's one God, God that's exclusive and it, is intolerant. It says there's only one way. And so that's the tension that's there. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Furious with rage. Why was Nebuchadnezzar furious? Um, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were challenging his authority. When you're a leader, you look bad if your underlings don't do what they're told. Um, I, I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar was furious because he had intentionally removed Daniel. He's not here in the, in the text from this environment because he knew that Daniel couldn't bow. Um, Daniel had interpreted his dream, had been raised to a position of power and influence. And so he had, he had sent Daniel away to not be there when this happens. And he thought he had been in control of the situation. And now there's chaos when the statue is unveiled. People in his administration are defying his leadership. They're not listening to him. And he's got to do something. It's 2,600 years later, and things haven't changed all that much, have they? Um, so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the music, 
If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. If you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Even though Nebuchadnezzar previously had had said he was immediately going to throw somebody into the fire if they didn't obey, he gives Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a second chance. Why does he do that? I think because of his relationship with Daniel and Daniel's relationship with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king gives them a second chance when he wouldn't give anyone else a second chance. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't need a second chance. They don't even want a second chance. They've already made up their minds about what they're going to do and what they won't do. They didn't need to pray about it. They didn't need to have a conversation about it. They didn't need to consult their mentors about it. They were all on the same page, and they were sure of it. They had already made the decision about what they were going to do. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We don't need to have a second chance. If we're thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Do you want to see what living a fearless life looks like? Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, uh, God has given us in his word this challenge to not be afraid, to not be fearful in the world that we live in. Second uh, Timothy 1, Paul says, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has instead given us a spirit of power and love and sound judgment and personal discipline discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Last week, we talked about naming your fear, about remembering the faithfulness of God, about how God has worked in in your past, how, how God has worked in the past of Scripture, and then beginning to act on that knowledge. When your life is in chaos, when your life is off the tracks, when you don't know what to do, do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. To live fearlessly, to live like them, you have to be convinced that God is able. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, if we're thrown, thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. We often wonder, if God is able to come through for us, can God heal my cancer? Can God restore life and love to my marriage? Can God conquer my addiction? Can God help me sleep through the night? Can God pay off my student loans? Can God find me a new job? Can God find someone to share the rest of my life with? Hear me. If God can raise a dead body that had been beaten beyond recognition and been in the grave for three days, if he can bring life back into that body of our Lord and Savior Jesus, he can do anything. Paul says to the church in Ephesus from our power series that we just finished, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. John 14, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me 
will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. God has the ability to do anything. We can trust him. God is able to live fearlessly. You have to be convinced that God will use his power as well. You've got to really believe. You have to live with complete confidence that God will deliver you from your circumstances. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. We don't need to be afraid. God's power, his faithful history, prove to us who he is and what he can do. Last week before the service, Carrie Bayshore, one of our elders and I, were having a conversation with some folks about football and what a great game football is. Um, we talked uh, about how uh, how it's changed and sometimes how dangerous it is. But the thing that we said in the conversation that's relevant to this particular point of recognizing that God is able and that he has the power and that God will use his power is this. The people who get hurt in football are the people who play tentatively. The people who are, who get on the football field and are cautious. They're not sure if they want to hit or get hit or not. And the people who play with reckless abandon, who, uh, who play, who go all out, they rarely get hurt because they've thrown themselves into the game and are given everything that they have. If you want to live a fearless life, you have to recognize, you have to believe that God will use his power in your life and not be double-minded, not be wishy-washy, not be uncertain about that. You have to recognize that God is able and that he will use his power. Dorothy Bernard said, courage is fear that has said its prayers. I love it. Uh, G.K. G. Chesterton, who was a preacher from a lot of years ago, said, courage is almost a contradiction of terms. It's a strong desire to live, taking the form of readiness to die. It's that sense of all-outness. When God's spirit in, in, is in us, is working and living in us, he doesn't make cowards of us. He fills us with confidence because of the power of God. To live fearlessly, you've got to be convinced that God is able, that he will use his power, and that his nature isn't changed by my circumstances. My circumstances don't determine whether or not God will act. I'm willing to accept the consequences, no matter what they are, and even die while I'm being faithful to him. Verse 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, yeah, God's able, he's going to rescue us. But even if he does not, We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Here's a question for you. Is my love for God, my commitment to him, based on whether or not he will do what I want? Is my love for God based on whether or not he will perform the way I want him to? If so, he is no more than a genie in a bottle with unlimited wishes. Are you willing to say, even if God doesn't do what I will, what I want, I will not back down. Even if I contract a disease, 
Even if my business fails, even if I go bankrupt, even if my political candidate loses, even if my spouse or parent or, or child dies, even if I'm tortured for my faith, I will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. My faith is in God. It's not in what I want God to do for me. There's a big difference. One pastor said, God can be trusted even when we don't know the outcome and even when the outcome is not what we'd like. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. One translation says his face turned purple with rage. Why? He was being gracious with a second chance, and they spurned it. They didn't even think about it. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Um, that, that language is actually hyperbole in, in, uh, in the original language. It's an expression that just says he made it as hot as possible. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into a blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is crazy mad. He's irrational at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to him. So much so that he's willing to sacrifice even some of his best soldiers, his secret service guys, for them to be thrown into the furnace. The furnace probably had an opening on the top, and they were taken up on top and and fell, literally fell down in, but there was probably a side view, not through glass, but uh, down a tunnel, whatever, that they could see what was happening inside. Um, the guards took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up on top, and it was so hot that they died. They, the three of them fell into the furnace and are there. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Do you see the complete change in Nebuchadnezzar? He's no longer furious. He's no longer stunned. He's, uh, he's astonished because not only are they not dead, but the soldiers are, they're unbound and they're walking around inside the fire. And there are not three people there, but a fourth. Uh, we don't know who that fourth was. Some scholars believe it was Jesus before he came to earth. An angel that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, protecting him. We, we don't know. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk out of the furnace, and those people who wanted them dead are now cheering them on. What a turn of events. Nebuchadnezzar, like, like all of his officials, 
is dumbfounded by what he sees. Their ropes are gone. Their clothes are intact, and they don't even smell like fire. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the God above all gods. He's turned completely. He's built the statue, but he recognizes that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the most powerful God in the universe. Literally, the only God with power. He's supreme. He reigns and rules. Nebuchadnezzar recognized and acknowledged the power of God because of the fearlessness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What does fearless look like? What does it look like for us? What does it look like to stand against all odds in our world? It looks like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me close with just four quick questions. First question is this. What are you willing to die for? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we can't bow down to this idol. We'll die instead because of our relationship with God. What is it that you're willing to die for? Second question is this. Is your faith a facade? Is it just a veneer, a, 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 something that looks good on the outside, but it doesn't really have substance? Is it a Hollywood set where there it looks like buildings, but they're just exteriors. Is your faith real or is it fake? Recognize that untested faith is unproven faith. The only way to know if your faith is substantive is for it to be tested. Third question is this, are your little decisions preparation for life-changing ones? If you go back to chapter 1, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't eat the food that the king's servants had prepared. They weren't willing to violate God in that seemingly small thing. That prepared them for this large thing, for this large test. They were fearless in the little thing so that they could be fearless in the big thing. Are you are the little decisions that you're making in life, decisions about how you interact with people, about your attitude, about um, your honesty and integrity? Are your little decisions preparing you for life-changing ones? Last question is this. Do you have to think twice about doing what's right? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they didn't need a second chance. Nebuchadnezzar said to him, wait, all you have to, you, I know you didn't bow down before. I'm giving you another chance. They didn't need a second chance. Is your resolve, your faith, your commitment so strong that you don't need a second chance when it comes to following Jesus? Um, I, I just want to challenge you. Maybe you've never made that commitment. Maybe you've never said, God, I'm willing to serve you no matter what. I'm willing to go in the fire. 
I'm willing to lay it all on the line. Today's the day to do that. Call us. Let us know. We want to help. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's example, and for the challenge that we have to stand alone, to stand against all odds, and to live fearless lives. Father, thank you for your spirit living in us that enables us to take those steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week in Daniel chapter 4.